What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Colin and Samir Show. On today's episode, we're going to be answering your questions from the Reddit, as well as talking about my experience interviewing Mr. Beast at VidSummit. Colin, what are we talking about? Today, we're talking about how we feel specifically when someone copies our content. Ooh. We're also going to be talking about some of the community platforms out there and the value of having a separate place off YouTube for your community. And lastly, we're going to discuss when brands become content creators, how they can actually do it well and strategically. All right. We're also going to share with you who our next guest is on the Colin and Samir show. All of that and more coming up at five. Actually, just coming up right right now. now. I just felt like that was like a weatherman type thing. Well, all right. Here we go. We've had completely different days today, Colin. That is true. I've been editing all day. I've been sitting in this room. Mm Mm-hmm. What's been going on out there? <laughs> so I've been at Vid Summit for the first half of today. I um, interviewed Jimmy on stage, Mr. Beast, if you don't know. James? James. Jimothy? Can I call him Jim? Jimbo? Call him Jim. So yeah, I interviewed him uh, on stage, which was really fun. Vid Summit, if you don't know, is this annual event that happens here in Los Angeles uh, for video creators, kind of self-explanatory. And it's partially owned by Mr. Beast, partially owned by Sean Doris, and then by a guy named Daryl Eves, who this year, I think he's he's putting on, like this event, I've watched it grow since we went for the first time in 2018. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. Like when we went for the first time, what's crazy is we went as like kind of like just fans or like members of the industry, I guess. I don't even know what we went as. Just curious guys. Just like curious guys. Guys, guys, guys on the break, outside looking in. Yeah, trying to break into YouTube and now it's... It's so interesting, like sitting on stage with Jimmy with 1,500 people there was, was it's pretty wild how much has changed for us. Reed, Reed said it to me before I went on stage. He looked at me and he was like, last year, this time, who you were to now this year is completely different. I mean, we spoke last year yeah. and we gave a 45-minute keynote. Yeah. And I think we had around 350,000 subscribers, a little bit less than yeah. that. And I remember being extremely nervous yeah. to be on that stage, to be in that room. And, you know, right now, as you're listening to this, we're probably on stage at Vid Summit, and we've had such a wide breadth of experiences and so many opportunities to speak in front of a lot of people. Yeah. And we just have more interesting things to talk about because the last year has been crazy. And I don't really have any nerves going up to this year of Vid Summit, yeah. speaking on stage. And what's crazy is we really don't have that much of an idea. We're planning on doing a live version of creator support. But history has proven that going without a plan might actually be the best plan for us. We're on the no plan plan. The no MPP. plan plan. Too much of a script and we go kind of crazy. Yeah, that's yeah. true. No script plan. So question for you. What do you feel like is the biggest difference between public speaking and speaking to a camera? Yeah, like well, speaking to an audience versus speaking to a, a camera. Editing. The filter. Mm. And you get a bad take, you just redo it or you cut it out. Yeah. There's, there's a way to solve every problem in the edit. If you're on stage, whatever comes out is what's happening and you have immediate feedback. I can assume what the feedback is when I'm speaking to a camera and how people will receive it. But when you're on stage, right there, it's like, I would imagine it's similar to like stand-up, right? You can tell if people are bored, if they're nodding their head, if they're finding it interesting, if they're talking to other people while you're talking. I tried a few jokes today on stage. I think th- I would say s- three out of four didn't work, but I had one that hit. really good one. What was yeah. It? So I was talking about our experience at Beast Burger in, in New Jersey, like when we were there at, at Beast Burger and like people we met in line. And I said, I met someone who learned English from Mr. Beast videos. And Jimmy was like, wow, that's so cool. 
And I was like, yeah, he came up to me and he said, I've watched every Mr. Beast burger. Or I've watched every Mr. Beast video for a hundred hours. And this is now how I learned English. And the, the crowd erupted. It was That's good. good. It was a yeah. good bit. Niche joke for a super niche, niche group joke. Of people. The more niche the joke, the better uh, in that. I completely fumbled the joke here on, on the pod. You had to be there in person. But the energy of the room was great. And I think that's like. Was that's, I supposed to laugh after that? No, no. You're supposed to appreciate it. Okay. I did appreciate it. Yeah. 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 Sorry if I didn't react. No, no. It wasn't for. A, it wasn't a laugh. Again, I okay. fumbled too. It wasn't like I nailed it. That's the worst part, by the way. Public speaking. If like you have a good bit planned and then you fumble it. Because you can't go back and then you're like, well, everyone just watch me try that. I think the worst. I think the worst is if you use a good bit in the rehearsal and then you're on stage oh, and you try to reenact the bit. Worst. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question for you. Talk to me. Considering that, you know, we've had Jimmy on the channel, we've spoken to him a lot. He's showing up in podcasts all over right now. Yeah. There's no shortage of Mr. Beast content. Was there something from your interview with him on stage that you had not heard before? Something interesting. Yeah. I think, you know, on the pod, the cool thing about the podcast tour that Jimmy's on right now is it's not YouTube podcast. He's on entertainment podcasts, like being on uh, flagrant with Andrew Schultz. He's talking about all kinds of different stuff. Yes. He's talking about YouTube, but it's not like just like retention and CTR. It's Hey, like who is this guy, Mr. Beast? So I think that is the coolest thing that I'm hearing from his podcast tour. But to answer your question specific to YouTube, because this context of vid summit is very YouTube focused. He talked about his relationship with performance of videos, meaning like getting a one out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. And that is some of his recent videos are 10 out of 10s. And I never really heard him talk about his relationship to that and like how over time he's had to really detach his his emotion from the performance. And that still though to this day, he does feel emotion. He, you know, on the 10 out of 10s, he like panic changed thumbnails. I don't know. I'm sure you saw it on Twitter. Everyone was talking about he had changed the thumbnail five times in like a week on a video. So like just to understand that he still goes through that, I think was really cool. I never really heard him talk about that. And then the other thing that he talked about, which was us talking about how much people copy Mr. Beast on YouTube. I asked him a question around how do people learn from what you're doing without fully copying it essentially. And he had some really good points around he thinks the next phase of YouTube and the future um, is going to be completely different from what he's making. Like the next big creator is not going to make challenge videos. And he talked about how he picked up a camera and started talking to it when he watched Casey Neistat, which I'd never heard hmm. him talk about. Never really heard him talk about the fact that he was inspired by Casey and that that's when he kind of like made himself more involved in the videos, but then had to find his own style from that. And so, you know, he talked a lot about that concept that probably the next big creator on YouTube is going to be a shorts creator, which I thought was interesting where he was like, there's no, there's no standout shorts creator yet where it's like the Emma Chamberlain or the, the, you know, blank of, of shorts. That would just be a strategic move on YouTube's part. If they're yeah, trying to compete yeah. with TikTok and they want to prove to people that you can be successful on totally. shorts so and shorts alone. That's what he said. He said, my recommendation is like, YouTube's really serious about shorts right now. Someone's going to emerge as the face of shorts. And it hasn't happened yet. And I thought it was, it was an interesting piece of, of advice and thought where he was like, someone's going to emerge as like the Casey Neistat or the Emma Chamberlain yeah. of shorts. You just got to have good calves. Prerequisite. If you're going to be the face of shorts. Oh man, I can't do short jokes <laughs> anymore, man. I just can't, I just can't do it. The Come only on. one I could do, the only one I could do was when- Marilyn's here. She's laughing. I know, I know. But the only one I can do 
Okay. The only the only shorts joke I can do is that someone asked about short subscribers and if they are like real subscribers and Jesse from our team or Jesse is editing this right now so he'll hear this joke here but he he DM'd uh, our account and said what the hell man what's wrong with what like I'm uh, messing wow. this up dude I'm I'm fumbling right now I'm public wow. speaking out yeah I'm, what? I, I, I don't <laughs> know public speaking out yeah. what does that mean I don't know to cut cut this whole thing <laughs> I can't no, I think Jesse gets to decide if this stays in or not <sighs> I know but you think you've done too much public speaking today I think so. It's actually not public speaking. It's the amount of creators that are at VidSummit who want to talk. And I want to talk to them, but I'm just not used to like... But now you have to record a podcast. Yeah, now I got to record a podcast. I'm, I'm, I, I couldn't even do the bit. So the bit was about height. That's it. You can gather it. It's not that interesting. Let's move on. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> why don't we get into the Reddit okay. and start answering some of the questions today. Get into yeah. the creator support segment. Yeah. The first post is actually along the lines of copying. Yeah. And, you know, you were talking about how Mr. Beast, people are copying his style, copying his formats, copying his thumbnails. The top post right now in the Reddit is a thumbnail from a creator named Graham Stephan. It's a piece that he made with Mr. Beast, and the thumbnail looks almost exactly like one of our thumbnails. It's got the, you know, yellow background with the black text that says broke, which I think we actually have in one of our thumbnails. No, it's the exact text, Cole. It's the exact text. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the exact text. Yeah. Ours and says broke and as well. And it's a photo of Jimmy at a mic, and a yeah. lot of people are commenting. Well, also, saying like, then, was this deliberate? Wait a second. It also, in the title, it says the full story. It says how much Mr. Be- money Mr. Beast makes, the full story, which is kind of like a combination of our two titles that we did from our content with Jimmy. Yeah, so I think it's interesting that it was flagged in the Reddit, and I think there's mixed reactions here of people feeling like, is this, you know, has he gone too far? And I think it would just be an interesting discussion how do we feel about when we see people sort of like imitating our thumbnail style, copying some of our video formats? So I, I don't think like, look, okay. We know Graham, Graham and I text. I like Graham, Graham, if you're listening, what's up, but, but we will box. Yeah. You. <laughs> but I would say like, it's, it's obvious that there, there's no world where anyone can, including Graham can look at us and say, this isn't based off your thumbnail. Like there's, there's just no possible way to say that. So obviously it's based on, something we had done. I think that the only thing that bothers me about this is like the branding elements of the yellow and black feel like very deliberately Colin and Samir, right? With something that we've just done for a long time. So it's become a big part of what we do. And at the same time, man, this happens in creativity. This especially happens on YouTube. And the only way like this, this illuminates a problem that we have that really anyone out there, anyone listening, anyone can make a video that looks like this with yellow box and black text. And there will be a lot of our fans that think it's one of our videos. That just means we don't have strong enough brand identification on YouTube to delineate between what's one of our videos, what's not one of our videos. Yeah. And I think we've probably been guilty of things similar to this in the past. And you, you look at sure, but, Shelby I think, Church, but think about like when Shelby church made a video, how much money I made on YouTube. Yeah. Like our thumbnail was probably eerily similar yeah, so yeah, hers, that's similar type of format. And even our thumbnails as of late that have had the speech bubbles in between like uh-huh. Cody and Noel or Rhett and Link, that can like feel kind of original to us. But if you look at Anthony Padilla, he had like a whole string of videos where he did the sure, exact sure. same thing. And now Hayden's doing it. Yeah. You know, I think like the this, yellow this feels really similar to me. The yellow no, is yeah. very similar, but it doesn't really piss me off, honestly. Like I just look at it and I'm like, 
it's that video is in the past. That thing we're doing is in the past. Sure, sure. And like, we need to keep making better things. We're moving forward. Yeah. No hard feelings towards Graham. Like this annoyed me. You want to box him is what you're saying. It annoyed me, but I don't have, I don't, I look at the situation and I'm like, but I get it. Of course I get it. Yeah. You know, like I'm not, I don't fault him for doing it, but I think that it, it shows me that we need better brand identification. We've been talking a lot about putting our faces in the thumbnail. Like there has to be a way to delineate what's ours and what's not like this is, this is for me something that you and I have talked about a lot in our entire career. Whenever you're doing something interesting in a creative world, I like to vision myself as, as running, right? Like, so we're running forward. And if we start jogging a little bit, there's a crowd of people running behind us. They're going to catch up to us. So you kind of have to stay on that pace in order to stay ahead. And you actually have to start accelerating because people are behind you accelerating as well. And, and we're also behind other people and we're accelerating towards them, learning from what they're doing and, and taking that and making it our own. So I think it's, I think it's completely, it's not expected that you are a hundred percent original as a creative. It's not expected but I think, um, you know, it is what I hope that we always do is take inspiration and make it our own. I hope we're never overly gratuitous when it comes to taking inspiration or, or trying to make something look like something else. Yeah, when things like this happen, it just makes me want to innovate, innovate and do something different. Which we are. Which we're working on right now. And at the same time, like you said, dial in our branding elements yeah. so that it's so extremely clear that it's a Colin and Samir video because there were a lot of comments here where people said they thought it was our video yeah. and they were excited to watch it and it's not. So we need to do a better job at making sure 100% don't get it twisted when you see a thumbnail. Yeah. That's us. That's us. Yeah. But we are starting to innovate now. I'm, I'm really excited about the innovation around style of content and, and the, the kind of comfort level in my head of where this, the, the brand of Colin and Samir can go. Um, you know, specifically what we're talking, what I'm talking about is the, the kind of follow doc we did around Mr. Beastburger. That's been a huge focus in our office for the past couple of weeks. So that is a very different style of video. Obviously it's not a talk show. It's not an interview. Uh, it's kind of a new take on how we want to cover creators. And for me, when I look at that, I think that's going to bring a lot of unique edge to what we do. Yeah. Edge is the right word. I watch it and I, Feel like we have an edge. Yeah. And that's important. Like we have to find our voice in all of this because there's going to be people who continue to, or the world of the creator world has opened up. People are going to interview creators. People are going to, you know, get creators on their show. There's going to do very similar things to what we have done in the past couple of years. Titles and thumbnails too are all about the game of YouTube. Yeah. What I'm really excited about with our piece about Mr. Beast Burger and is that I think it will do really well on YouTube, but I don't think it necessarily will follow the game. No, it's right. Not like the it's game. a little yeah. bit away from that. And I am enjoying spending time on it. I know Chris has been working on it like crazy. Yeah. He's enjoying spending time on it. And it's not a situation where we're passionate and excited about it because we know it's going to be a one out of 10 or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's no real element of algorithm hacking or anything. It's just a piece that we would be excited to showcase whether it was on YouTube or it was in a theater. You know, I think that's something that I spoke to Jimmy about both on and off stage was this concept of that's what he's really into. You know, like he's studied the algorithms. 
that's his advice to you if you want to get better at YouTube. But one thing we talked about on stage was like, YouTube's huge. People's interests are all over the place. Like, he, he was even saying to me, he was like, look, the retention on a two-hour podcast, the expectation is not the same as, as, it's not the same format of content that he makes. So he was like, you can listen to me, but it doesn't apply to what you do. Yeah. You know, you have a different expectation and a different um, style of content and a different relationship with your audience and a different, it's all different. So he was like, you can take, you can take some of the stuff that I'm talking about, but you're doing a different format. So like your, your retention metrics, your, everything is going to be based on the format you're doing and the type of audience you're trying to, to build. So I think that's important that like the game of YouTube, quote unquote, you want to, you want to get your content out to as many people as possible, but it's subjective to exactly how you want to do it. There's not a singular path on YouTube. And I think that's been a bit of the vibe over the past couple of years. And there may be a path off YouTube. That sounds YouTube, like a segue. That's a segue. Yeah. Here. So this leads to our next question. And I'm going to take a page out of your book and try and read the name of the user that posted this and read it. This comes from WJRQK. That's it. That's the name. Okay. Shouldn't read the names. You shouldn't read yeah, the names. You shouldn't read the names. It's titled Getting Off Rented Land, Mighty Networks, comma, Ghost. All right. The question reads, what? I don't know. The question reads, <laughs> given the extent to which Colin and Samir stress the idea that creators are building on borrowed land and don't own their audience, I would be interested to hear what this sub or our eponymous... What? Okay. What, Colin? I'm trying to read this. What Samir. is happening? I, mean, I can gather this. Eponymous? What you think this that question? he meant to say anonymous? Hippopotamus? Eponymous? Yeah, it means like when a thing is named after the person or character that it's about. So like our subreddit is called Colin and Samir because your names are Colin and Samir. Whoa. It's like in Moby Dick, how the whale's name is also Moby Dick. In, Could oh, you use wow. it in a sentence? How do we use it in she a sentence? She just said it. So, um, Epi- Moby Dick is the eponymous of the eponymous. Moby, Moby Dick. All right. It's the eponymous character. Whoa. Okay. I, I get this, this question already, right? Or do you need to read that? <laughs> I think we need to deliver it in a way that makes sense. Okay, the question reads, I just learned about Mighty Networks this week and took a dive. Seems like a great place for creators to gather their flocks, so to speak, in one's own platform. That's also the focus of Ghost, though it's built around the newsletter rather than a multifunctional community space. Does anyone have experience with Mighty Networks, Ghost, or other platforms designed for creators to own their audience? Any resources, anecdotes, etc. would be appreciated. Mighty Networks was a sponsor of the show. I think from what I've seen of them, I really like what they do and the apps that I've used that they've created, I really like. Beyond that, I've been thinking about this a lot, especially being at VidSummit and engaging with our audience. The thing for me that I'm recognizing is that what we want to do is, it is build like a tight-knit community. And the opportunity, the energy that I get is when we get to talk to the people who listen to our show. That for me is where I get most of my energy. So I don't actually think that I would be happy if we were putting out content, it was getting 10 million views an episode, but I didn't know who those people were. That's really hard for me to, to latch onto. So I think our, a big part of our next chapter will be building a community platform. I don't know if we're going to use Mighty Networks, Uscreen, Patreon, Discord. Like, I don't know which one is the right stack. I think they're all different and we have to dive into this world. But I know that we're going to move in this direction because 
I see there's so much value in these communities that are both digital and physical. Even again, being at an event and meeting people is so valuable. It, ch it changes everything about your, the trajectory of your career, your life, your creativity. Like it's the people that you meet. Yeah, I think it's twofold for me. It's fulfilling to answer someone's question or interact with them on a very specific level. Yeah. So that's one side of it. Well, I think it's important to have one of these types of communities. But I also think intimately knowing your core audience makes it easier easier for you to make videos that everyone will enjoy. Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot of why you look at, like when KSI uses his Reddit, right? Yeah. He reacts to it and makes a video that goes out to millions. Sometimes like 10, 15 million people will watch a video about uh, content that stemmed from his Reddit, which is smaller than that. So I think it's interesting and important for a creator to intimately like understand what their core audience wants, what they're interested in, what they find funny, because that just makes it easier for you when you sit down to write a video or you sit down to record what everyone will be interested in. This podcast is supported by our friends at Kajabi. Kajabi is one of the most significant brands in the creator economy. Creators have earned over $6 billion on the platform through selling courses and membership. And Colin, do you know how Kajabi was started? I don't. So the founder wanted to manufacture a toy for his kid, but over time realized that manufacturing and fulfillment was really complicated. So he actually ended up making a video about how to make toys and then realized there was no good way to sell knowledge-based videos online. So he built Kajabi. So the platform is actually built by an online creator. That's really cool. And it just makes me think about how many opportunities there are in education right now. There are so many things that people know that other people would love to learn, but that they just don't have access to. And I think online creators are the absolute best teachers right now. We all know how to engage an audience through video. When we were thinking about launching our course business, student experience was the number one thing we wanted to make sure was excellent. And after looking at all the options, Kajabi was the one that really stood out because of their templates as well as everything that's built in. We're able to offer worksheets, videos, live sessions, challenges, and even a built-in community all through Kajabi. So if you're interested in checking out Kajabi, go to kajabi.com slash Colin and Samir. All right, back to the episode. So should we talk about Emma Chamberlain's house tour? Or yeah. Like, whoa. Are we going to dive into that? That house tour with Architectural Digest hit me in the face this morning. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm eating breakfast. I put it on. That house is incredible. It's just, I think for me, just watching it, what's wild is just to really understand how much she's become this mainstream celebrity and how much she is, she's like so well suited to be in that role of being a celebrity. She's still like very down to earth, very good on camera, knows how to engage with an audience but like she is really elevated to a different, she's in a different world than like the creator economy, in my opinion. Yeah, I think she may be representative of what's coming down the line for any type of creator that has success is enable, and is able to sustain it. You know, what's really interesting about her and a roadmap that I think would be great for a lot of creators to follow is that even though she now lives an extravagant life and is living in this amazing home, she is still relatable. She's not like hiding the fact yeah. that her life is very different than it was five years ago mm -hmm. on camera. And I do know that is like important to a lot of creators that they maintain that relatability factor, even though they're making millions of dollars. And I think that can get kind of strange sometimes. I understand the purpose of it. Yeah. But I really appreciate that she still feels like 
the same creator with the same attitude, wit, uh, and relatability, even though her life has drastically changed. So question for you, when it comes to, uh, celebrities, how are you feeling about our next interview? I'm very excited. Nervous a little bit. Yeah. I have nerves as well. Yeah. I'm definitely nervous. So our next interview is with someone we've wanted to interview for a really long time. Long time. Yeah. We had a pre-call with him. We haven't said the name yet. Say the name. You're, the, I thought you were going to say it. Yeah, it's Hassan Minaj. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say it. You left everyone on the edge of their seat, man. I was trying to make it suspenseful. I bet you some people fell sitting on the edge. Oh, wow. I'm off, man. I've done too much yeah. speaking today. I'm telling you. I got I to gotta cool it before tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm figure like, that situation out. My, my motor out. is like, I'm also like too comfortable trying things now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, now I have to like fully. After the YouTube like trader summit, I think we got a little bit too comfortable bombing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm like looking to bomb now. At yeah, times. now we like feel uh, the okay, rush of so bombing. So. It, it's, uh, it's Hassan Minaj and he, you know, if you don't know who he is, comedian, actor, he's, uh, he's been on YouTube for I think 15 years, he's found his way through different iterations of his career. He has a new Netflix special coming out, which is what he's coming on the show to talk about. It's just like a really exciting experience for us to get to, A, interview someone that we've always wanted to interview, but B, get into the world of like someone who does stuff beyond YouTube as well and is entertaining people at a really mass scale and has experience in traditional entertainment. And that to me is like so cool because I always want to be the bridge. I want to be the bridge. I want our show to be the bridge between you know, traditional and digital. I want our show to be the bridge between creators and the rest of the world. So he lands the most on the traditional side of anyone yeah, we've had of anyone on the show we've had. Yeah. to date. Yeah. You, know, you search his name on YouTube and it's primarily him on Fallon, him on Kimmel. It's, you know, I, you watch the morning show and he's on the morning show with Jennifer Aniston, mm-hmm. right? Like getting yeah, big, a, it, it, getting big a, acting gigs and, you know, we're straight up celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. Working with his publicist and yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm uh, I'm definitely nervous about it. Uh, but something that Paul said on our show uh, about nerves and nervousness, I thought was really interesting. Paul, Paul Rabel, Rabel. Yeah. he said, um, being nervous is, is means you're underprepared. Having nerves means you're excited. Like you're you're prepared, and you're like be, having nerves is something really natural to have. Being nervous means that you're underprepared. I do feel underprepared at the moment. Yeah, and that's that's what being nervous is compared to like. You and I are prepped. Uh, we're about to go on stage. Like think about when we did the New Fronts speaking engagement with YouTube in New York, where we hosted, you know, this this thing for them. We we knew that script like dialed. So before then, that was nerves because it was like we we know it. We are mm-hmm. we couldn't have prepared more for this. So we have nerves going out. But when you're underprepared, that's when you when you feel nervous. I actually feel nervous because. He is incredibly available when you search his name on YouTube. He's been on a lot of, of podcasts, right. like shows. How, how are we going to make this different? How do we make this original? How do we make this our own? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that, re- that takes a lot of development work on our side over the next couple of days to, to really work on the questions. You know, like when Sean Evans has a question on Hot Ones and you're like, how was he that specific? He's like, so when you were in middle school and you wore those Jordans to school and, and your teacher said, Hey, Hassan, what's up with those Jordans? How did you react? You know? And he's like, what, how did you, how did you know what Mrs. Lanning said? I'm off, man. I don't Whoa. know. Yeah. I don't okay. know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. This yeah. is what I'll say. You know how Sean Evans does that and his team over at Hot Ones? How? They look up the local newspaper 
of the celebrity and where they're from and mm. the archives. Mm. Because for the most part, the first time that, you know, a celebrity does something noteworthy, it's going to get covered first in the local paper. Yeah. And the perspective that they take on it is going to be very different than, you know, by the time they end up in like the New York Times or on like a big ticket interview. That's cool. So maybe we should look at yeah, that's the good. local paper. That's good. Um, all right. What's the next question from the Reddit? Okay. The next question is from Snoo83683. Snoo. Lately, we've heard a lot about how creators are starting or acquiring brands and jumping into the realm of business. But what about when a brand wants to go into the long-form content realm? Mm. I work as an editor for a startup, and it was the founder's idea to invest in creating content for the brand instead of spending most of the marketing on ads. Because I'm also involved in coming up with the content ideas, I'm concerned that most of the audience won't relate or interact with branded content. I've seen a lot of channels for big brands with really high highs, but also with surprisingly low lows. What do you think would be a good strategy for a brand when creating content for YouTube? Should the founders do what Jack Conti did and create channels for themselves? Great question. This is, I mean, this is like an incredibly relevant question to just the world of marketing right now. The answer to should the founders start channels. If we start there, that's extremely founder dependent. You know, I want, I want to note that Colin and I, when we used to work with athletes, there were some athletes who wanted to go all in. Jeremy Lin, great example of someone who wanted to go all in on YouTube, wanted to think of ideas, wanted to go shoot, wanted to make YouTube a big part of what he did. Giannis Atatekumpo, which I think I nailed that. I think you did. Uh, shot one video and then was like, that's too much work. Yeah. And didn't want to do it. And so like YouTube, YouTube is not a, a game or even content creation is not a game where you just kind of like can half-ass it. Your founders have to be really into it to do it. I think the, the founders have to get fulfillment from it, whether it actually sells product or not. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the only way, it's, it, it has to be the long game. Content has to drive value. It just does. Like, and, and it's going to take a really long time to do it, but it has to have value beyond the marketing. Yeah. That's what you have to think about branded content is, are you watching this no matter what? Or are you just watching this? Is the expectation that someone's just watching this as like a big infomercial? Yeah, because your, your product may serve a value and hopefully serves a community, but a photo of it or a video of it probably does not, right? So you totally, totally. have to rethink how are you serving that same audience, that same community, but with content. And it may look drastically different than what you know, your product is. Mm -hmm. So I think how brands should create content, you know, I don't think we live in a world where a brand can have a channel and a ton of different faces show up on that channel. I just don't know if that's real. You know, Moment does it well. Uh, Moment is like a camera supply kind of production gear thing, and they do it well on YouTube, but they've spent years figuring out that YouTube channel, developing a YouTube audience. The, the way that I feel like they found their way in was reviewing tech and going into a format that is pre-existing on YouTube mm -hmm. um, and reviewing cameras and reviewing tech. So I think that that works really well, but it has to do with the individuals. You have to build like a, either a cast of characters that people follow or a singular character. And you probably have to be prepared for when those characters move on. Yeah. Right? That's the tough thing I think, about having a host on any of your channels, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or TikTok most likely there will come a time when they want to move on and do something else. Okay. My take is that YouTube is the hardest one to build. I might not, I might not even touch that. If I'm a brand, I would, I would explore newsletter. I would explore podcasting. Those are the two things I would explore. And then I would maybe do like live speaking, like events, workshops, stuff like that. 
depends on what type of brand you are, but YouTube is the one I would, I would look at last if everyone's super into it. If your founder is like, I love YouTube, I want to become a YouTube creator and I'm willing to commit to it for the next 10 years. Yeah. It's the highest lift and can take the longest. So if you're interested in YouTube, I would highly recommend finding creators that have already spent the time to build the audience that you want, right? Mm -hmm. And integrate with them. Yeah, totally. There's one brand that always comes to mind for me, and that's Line Skis. And I've told you this story before, Mm -hmm, but Line mm -hmm. Skis is a uh, ski manufacturer. And there was a period in time, maybe over like 15 years ago, when they had 20 plus professional skiers on their roster. But professional skiing is very much like lacrosse. Like there's only so many names that are well known. So the fact that they had signed 20 pro skiers doesn't mean that they can just use their photo in a magazine or whatever and like make money off them. Yeah. So what they ended up doing was, was they let go of 19 and they kept one. They kept one guy who was basically like the heart and soul of the company. He became like the creative director. And then they paid two kids essentially to go around with a GoPro and travel from mountain to mountain and just like film their experience of skiing on like an extremely low budget. Like they're eating ramen noodle at lunch and they're just goofing around Mm. and it has almost nothing to do with the product. They just happen to be using the product and they committed to making that series for years. They still make it now like 13, 14 years later. That's crazy. And that company ended up getting acquired by a huge ski manufacturer. And I think they were like really ahead of the time in seeing that shift from like, just because you're considered a professional doesn't mean you're connecting with the audience that you want. And they found a way to sustain it by having like a really low level production, Mm. super cheap for them. Here's two kids who are extremely passionate for them. It would mean the world to have enough money to get to ski full time and travel. And that passion comes through and that's the audience they want to hit young, passionate people. So I think it's like, if you are looking for hosts, it has to be like, it may not be that high profile creator or person too. Mm-hmm. It may just be the person who's like very core and cares deeply about your product and your community. Totally. All right, man, I'm talked out. Okay. Let's get ourselves ready for tomorrow. Vid summit. We got to get something ready for that. Yep. We got to work on the pod that we're going to release tomorrow. And we got to work on this beast burger doc. We got a lot to do. Mm-hmm. But that also means you guys are going to have a lot to watch, a lot to engage with. And honestly, I just can't wait for you guys to see the stuff I'm working on. Yeah. So I'm really pumped. Uh, We will see you next week.